0: Well, a blessed Christmas morning, friends. It's wonderful to celebrate Christmas and the birth of Jesus, uh, having this fellowship today. I am Pastor Nestor. I am the local and global missions pastor here at Knox. Let's begin with our time of reflection with a prayer. Father God, we are here to celebrate your coming the birth of your son Jesus who identified with us who lived with us so that we could be saved and so may we have this time together today to reflect on what this means to us on why we are celebrating on why we are here in the name of your son Jesus we pray Amen Friends, I I love animated movies. I don't know if you do, but I do. And I think a decade ago, or a couple of years ago, there was this animated movie entitled The Ant Bully. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that animated movie. Um, It's the story of a boy, a boy who was constantly bullied. And because he was constantly bullied, what he does is that every time he sees ant hills or ant colonies, he would destroy these ant colonies. And so the, the ants were so frustrated in that movie, they, they were so frustrated, and so one day, all the elders of that ant colony gathered together and decided that we need to teach this boy a lesson. And so what they did was to develop a potion, and in the middle of the night, they went to the house, to the room of that boy, and dropped that potion in the ear of that boy. And that boy became small, just like the size of an ant. And so they they brought the boy to their ant colony, and that boy lived in that ant colony for a couple of days, until the time that he was able to learn and experience the lives of the ants. And so after that, he stopped bullying the ants (laughs) <laughs> Anymore. Interestingly, while that movie might just be an animated thing, I, I love that because it speaks of one thing. It speaks, there, there is that parallelism between that story with that of what God had done on Christmas Day and that he became human. From heaven, he came to earth to become human so that he could identify with us. So that he could live with us and from there he could save us. Isn't that amazing that God, who is transcendent, who is above all things, a creator, the creator, became in a way the creature. And for us that's nothing can replace the truth than the celebration of God's coming to earth to become human. It is what we call as the doctrine of the incarnation. The incarnation is that act of God becoming man, becoming human, incarnate. To be incarnate means that you are taking on human flesh. And that is the reason why we are celebrating here today and why we are here today. We are celebrating the truth, that doctrine that God became human to be with us. You see, oftentimes we forget this in the midst of all of the celebrations, in the midst of, of gift giving and, uh, and, and having dinners, family meals, and coming together as family or as friends, that we have forgotten the true essence of Christmas. In fact, one of the things that I've, I realized is that so many people today, even if they're not Christians, are celebrating Christmas, by the way. For no no apparent reason than the fact that this is a holiday and people tend to believe that this is a season where we do that without really understanding what it means. I mean, when we read that scripture and uh, Christine read that, it really speaks of what God has done for us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. No other truth can sublimate that. No other truth can replace that. And that's what we call as the doctrine of the Incarnation. And by the way, just just a passing glance. Why are we using the term doctrine, by the way, in the Christian context? What's the importance of that? Well, doctrine is important to us because that's the basis of how we live. That's doctrine. It's the basis of how we live. And Tim Keller has a beautiful way of saying that and putting that in three ways. First, that doctrine is a faith position. Doctrine is a faith position. That means that it's not a matter of having scientific truth or scientific facts. It's not about finding empirical facts to prove the reality of the truth. It is a faith position. You accept it, you believe it because it's revealed in Scripture. And Scripture tells us faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things, not sin. The evidence of things, not sin. And when it is a faith position, then we accept that because God revealed it to us. Second, a doctrine is something where we commit ourselves on and we, where we commit ourselves to. A doctrine is not just a head knowledge. A doctrine is a heart knowledge. You need to be committed to that. You need to believe in that. You need to be consumed by that even. And thirdly, according to Tim Keller, doctrine is something that we push forward, something that we advocate, something that we tell people. We even argue that with people because we believe that this is the truth as revealed in Scripture. And so this is what we call us even when we believe and when we accept this doctrine of the incarnation. Then we accept the fact also that therefore, Christmas is doctrinal. There is nothing and no other way to put that than to reveal the truth that Christmas is doctrinal, or doctrinal for those who are of uh, uh, coming from the UK. But the truth is, the truth is that Christmas is doctrinal in a sense that that is where we base our lives and everything we believe in, and nothing else. And so how then do we how then do we understand the doctrine of Christmas? How then do we believe in this truth where we base our lives on? Well, to be truth and to be truthful about this matter, there are four key areas of the doctrine of Christmas that we need to understand, because that is where we base our lives on. First, that Christmas is factually historical. Let me say that again. That Christmas is factually historical. What do I mean by that? Well, let's go back to our scripture in uh, verse one of First John, uh, verse uh, chapter one. It says, "That which first from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and that our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. That which we have seen, that's that which we have touched." And for John and the other disciples, they have seen the enfleshment of God. There is nothing further from the truth than someone who could testify that we have seen this and we have, we have touched this. This is, this is historical. This really happened. Something that we could not deny. And for many people and for people of other faith, this is something that they could not believe. Where God, who is transcendent, a, 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 a divine being can become flesh because for them, that's totally at odds. That's, that's heresy. But that is the foundation of our faith, that this is historical. Could you imagine the absolute became particular? Could you imagine that the ideal became real? Nothing is further from the truth than this realization that the, the Christmas of God becoming human is a historical truth. No other faith can say that. Only us Christians, only those who believe in a God who became human can say that this is a historical fact and we could now say this we believe, this we have touched, this we have seen. This is the doctrine of Christmas. Secondly, one of the wonderful things about Christmas is this, that Christmas makes us value the material. Christmas makes us value the material. Now, l- l- wait, wait a minute. I-, I didn't say materialistic or materialism. I said it makes us value the material. What does this mean? In the, in, in the early church, particularly in the first century AD, there were so many problems besetting the early church, and particularly the problem of heresies, wrong beliefs, beliefs that are totally at odds with Scripture. And one of the key heresies during the time was, was the belief uh, which we call as Gnosticism. And for the Gnostics, they believe that everything that is material, everything that is matter is corrupt and beyond redemption. Everything that is in this world is corrupt and beyond redemption. And so, for them, the only truth is something that is within you, something that, that, that's more spiritual, something that you could not see, something that is more apparent. And one of the results of Gnosticism was another um, heresy, which we call as Docetism, because they don't believe of God becoming human. And so, they said that Christ's physicality, His human presence, is purely just an apparition, an appearance. Because they could not believe and they could not understand how God, who is transcendent, could become human. But in the incarnation, in that celebration of Christmas, we are being led into this truth that God embraces the material. For the reason that He created this world. He loves this world. He loves everything that is in the world. In the midst of all the messiness and the brokenness in this world, this is still God's creation. And there is an inherent fact, and inherent truth, that this is still good. This is God's creation. But what does that mean for us? I mean, it's not just a theological truth. It's not just something that I could say hypothetically. It really has implications to the way we live. Remember our mission statement as a church? We are a church that is following Jesus, loving the city, and serving the world. Why are we doing that by the way? Why are, we, why are we loving the city? Why are we serving the world? Because it is this material world that God seeks for us to love and to care for. This is the foundation of our community outreach. This is the foundation of our justice and mercy work. This is the foundation even of our creation care. And the reason why we do all of these things is because God wants us to value the material. In all the messiness, in all the brokenness of this world, in all the problems that you face, the poverty, the hunger, and all of everything in this, you need to accept and you need to abide by the fact that God loves all the messiness that is in here. Of course, He wants this to be elevated so that uh, uh, there would be a time when He would be creating a new heaven and a new earth. That is an affirmation that this earth is valuable to God and He wants us to value this. How do we value this creation? How do we value the material things? Not being materialistic, not being consumerist because this seems to be the tendency for Christmas right now that it becomes a consumerist endeavor. That's not what God wants. What God wants would be for us to embrace this physicality, our lives here, and to appreciate the lives that He has given us, and at the same time also to love the people who are struggling in the midst of all the messiness and brokenness in this world. This is what it means to value the material, celebrate, enjoy, enjoy the brokenness, enjoy the messiness of life, and in all its challenges, we rejoice in the fact that God is with us. Emmanuel. And this is the reason why he's here. To be with us in the midst of all our sufferings, all the challenges in our lives, because he is with us. He became human. This is something that we need to celebrate. And in the way of reflecting this in our own individual ministries, then the best ministry and one of the greatest ministries that you do as Christians would be to do a ministry of presence. To, to do a minister of presence means that you need to be there when the person beside you, somebody who is struggling, you need to be there. It is not possible for you to be, to be, to be a Christian and to claim that you believe in God becoming flesh when in fact you could not even flesh the life of Christ among your neighbors, among your friends, among the people who are struggling, and among the people of this world. The best ministry that you could do and the best gift that you could give this Christmas season would be that gift of presence. For someone who is struggling, they need God's presence in their lives. Among your family members, how are you able to express your presence among them even? Have you even told your, your loved one today that you love them or you care for them? Or have I don't know for husbands and wives or children or, or kids. De- here, have you even given a gift to your parents, by the way, and just to thank them for just being there for you, or told them that you love them or you care for them? I haven't given my my wife a flower today, but I do believe that <laughs> I have. Yeah, yeah, it's coming. <laughs> but the minister of presence is important. Being there for someone who's struggling being there for people who are struggling in the midst of all the life's challenges. And thirdly, the doctrine of Christmas leads us and directs us into deep relationships and to be relational. We do not need only to accept the historical truth about Christmas, that we need also to value the material, but also we need to be deeply relational. In verse 3 of our text, and again, we need always to look at Scripture as the basis of our faith, and in verse 3, it says, we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Now, this is an interesting text, by the way, that concept, the idea of fellowship. What does that mean, by the way? Well, in Greek, the the, the word fellowship means koinonia. But actually, when you use the term koinonia, it goes deeper than the concept of fellowship. Because fellowship, in a way, is just a surface-level friendly relationship. But koinonia means a deeper spiritual union with people, and with others, and with those whom God loves. That is koinonia. And, and, and fellowship goes more than just a gathering on Sundays. It's more than just having coffee together. It means having that spiritual union where you get to know that person on a deeper level, not just on a, on a superficial level. How do you know that person? What are the struggles of that person? The moment you do that and you unite together and you come together in that deeper spiritual union, then you have koinonia. It's something that we need to celebrate. And this Christmas season requires and God calls us into this space of koinonia and just coming together. And that's what I I, I have said a while ago, that we do not only value the material, but it has to also go beyond that and it has to be relational. You need to be in relationship with others. You need to care. You need to show that deeper love towards other people, particularly those who need God's presence in their lives. That is to be relational. John Doan, a poet, once said, and I love I, I John Donne because of the way that he speaks of his poem. He was the one who coined that, that poem, No Man is an Island. That's John Doan. And John Doan once said, Any man's death Diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. Therefore, never sent to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for you. The suffering, the death, and the messiness of another person becomes your own suffering. To be a Christian means to be identified with the person who is struggling. When there's a death of someone, when, when a person is suffering, you just could not just be callous and say, I, I, I don't care. That's not my concern. That's not relationship. That's not koinonia. To be in koinonia means that whatever things that happens to that person becomes your own, becomes your own suffering, becomes your own pain. And that's why we use the term empathy rather than sympathy. And more than that, God wants us to identify with people who are struggling as well. Because their sufferings and their struggles and their pain becomes our own pain. That is koinonia. Friends, I hope that we would be led into that space of coming together, into that space of spiritual union. I think it was last year, if I'm not mistaken, that I preached during Trinity Sunday. Was it last year? And during that Sunday, I used a term that defines who God is as a triune God. And I used the term perichoresis, a Greek word that was developed by the Latin fathers. And what is perichoresis? Well, perichoresis means this is the mutual indwelling of the three persons of the Trinity. That in each of the three persons of the Trinity, they are fully in one another. That is perichoresis that each person of the Trinity possesses the divine Godhead, the divine being, and that their intercommunion is reciprocal and inseparable. I mean that, again, that might be a theological term, but the truth is when you, when you proclaim this perichoresis, it means basically that the three persons of the Trinity are not only united, but they are in relationship with each other. In a way, you are defining God as a relational God. God could not be otherwise than be a relational God because He is in communion with Himself. The three persons of the Trinity are in communion with each other. Inseparable, reciprocal, indivisible even. That while they are separate, they are in relationship with each other. And so God is a relational God. Nothing is further from the truth here than what what John claimed as well in 1 John 4.16. Do you know that verse? God is love. He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. God is love. There is no other way to define God than a God who loves and who cares to the point that he even gave his own son, To be with us, to identify with us during this Christmas season, to die for us, and to be resurrected so that we could attain this eternal life that God has given us. This is perechoresis. God is a relational God. And so, if God is a relational God, then God calls us also to be relational. In all aspects of our lives, in all our ministries, nothing could define how it is true from God's perspective than how it shows love and relationship. Remember what Paul had said, uh, uh, I forgot the text, but what Paul had said, that whatever happens to one part of the body also affects the whole part of the body. The head could not say that if if, if the foot, for example, is in pain, the, the, the head could not say that I don't have anything to do with you. That's not relationship. To be in relationship means that we care and love each other. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. This is our calling today. As we celebrate this Christmas season and as we celebrate the birth of Christ, we are called to be in relationship. All the programs that we have as a church, all the ministries that we have, would come to nothing if there is no relationship in it. It's just programs, those are just tasks and ministries. But we are called into a space of relationship. And the greatest test of any ministry and the greatest test of church life and koinonia would be the test of relationship. If there's this constant squabbling and division inside the church, then that is not, that is not relational. That is not koinonia. If there's this constant annoyance among those who are serving and without love whatsoever in that act of serving, then that's not koinonia. That's not of God. That is against God. Yes, definitely we are still in the midst of sin, but the truth is we need to abrogate uh, to that and go beyond that and to be relational in all aspects of our lives. And fourthly, Christmas directs us to be joyfully emotional. First, the doctrine of Christmas allows us to see that this is historical. Second, that it seeks for us to value the material. And third, we are called to be deeply relational. But fourth, it calls us and directs us to be joyfully emotional. Friends, do you know that this Christmas season is also the time where depression is the highest among people? Do you know that even in this celebration of Christmas, so many people are in a state of depression and are suffering mentally? And, and that is, by the way, that is understandable. Why? Because when you are alone and living in your own apartment perhaps or, or, or struggling with your own place, and you see other people gathering as a family, then your your, your loneliness is is actually amplified and you become depressed. When, when, When you are homeless and you don't have any place to go and then you see these people living in their condominiums or their houses, there's no other feeling for you but that feeling of depression. Actually, this Christmas season, depression is amplified among so many people. But this is the reason why Christ came. That is to be with us. And that is why we proclaim, Emmanuel, God is with us. Because now we are not alone. In the midst of all our depression, in the midst of all our loneliness, God is there. There's no other truth and there's no other fact that you could proclaim that God is there with you. And so be blessed with the truth. Be blessed with this fact that even if you're alone right now in your own in your own apartment, then please know and do know that God is with you. Let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate this truth that God is with us. Friends, Christmas is historical. Christmas allows us to value the material. And Christmas leads us directly to to be relational. And fourth, we need to be joyfully emotional. I hope today that I would not see faces that are dropped or sad or lonely because God is with you right now. Be assured with His presence. Know that He is there in your suffering. Know that He is there in the midst of all the brokenness that you are experiencing in your own life. And so I pray that we would come together today in Koinonia, to celebrate His birth, to celebrate His coming. And from there, we are able to become blessings and to give that gift for other people as well. Merry Christmas and have a blessed time together. Amen.